1: All right, parents, welcome back to The Journey. Dan Panetti with Katie, Julie, and Gabe uh, talking about a particular book, um, Hold On to Your Kids, Why Parents Need to Matter More Than Their Peers. Um, This is not, by the way, this is not an endorsement of the book. Um, I don't think you need to run out and buy this particular book, Um, but there are some things in here that are very interesting, which is why we're having the conversation. Um, But the first part was just the idea of where does this whole idea of um, attachment parenting come from. Uh, why is it important for pe- or for for young people to attach to their parents um, more so than attaching to peers? Um, and that's what this conversation, the second part, I want to get into, is just uh, what are the dangers of a um, a young person growing up that's primarily attached to their peers and not to their parents? Um, and I think um, one of the things um, that he writes that they write in this particular book, it says, "Whomever the child is most attached to." will have the greatest impact on her life. And I think that's a reality, right? We, we can agree with that, um, that if your child is most attached to and then you put a name in there um, and that name isn't Jesus or that name isn't you as parents, but that name is somebody else, right? That person, what you're saying is that's the person who has the greatest impact on the life of my child, yeah. right? And I, I think today um, some pe- some kids might answer not not only with a name of a person who's not a peer, but somebody who might even be like a celebrity, right? Who's the okay. greatest impact on your life? Who do you spend the most time paying attention to? And it might be somebody, right? Not a parent, <laughs> not a peer, yeah. but just right somebody who's famous. Which is kind of an interesting, you know, dilemma for the kids. So, um, what do you think about just when he was when they were writing about peer-oriented um, children uh, and the dangers of those things? Was there anything that jumped out to you guys? on that
2: there is for me and just as as a parent reading that and thinking about you know um i am accountable for the children i raise and how i raise them absolutely my kids friends are not accountable for how they're raised they're they're just not and they're they're they're, the peer-to-peer relationship the friendships only last as long as they serve each other, which is totally different than the parent child relationship. And so, but I think the big thing is, is the peers are not accountable to what happens in that relationship.
1: So he writes, he writes this line, which is the exact summary of that. He says, when peers replace parents as the dominant attachment figures, they, the peers, right, become our child's models without, of course, assuming any responsibility for the end result. And, and I think sometimes parents don't see that as a problem, right? That's like, oh, you know, Jimmy's just like his friends, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just like, okay, but Jimmy's your child. <laughs> yeah. So what he, what he attaches to and what he becomes, you're responsible for as a parent. I've had conversations with parents, right? And they, they're frustrated, right, that their son or daughter is so influenced by their peers. And I'm like, but you're the parent, Right, so if you want to change that, if you want to alter that, that's your job as a parent, right? And I think it's very, you know, telling of where our parents are that you know it's like, well, I don't, I don't feel like I can take Jimmy's phone and and look at it because it's Jimmy's phone. I'm like, what? Or, yeah, you know, that
2: doesn't happen in our house. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, Jim,
1: Jimmy's got a TV up in his room because it's Jimmy's room, and I never go into Jimmy's room because it's Jimmy's room. And I'm just like, what? Like, you are the parent. And so I think his a lot of his problems that he's walking through of peers attaching to peers and the difficulties that comes with that are because parents aren't stepping in and saying, Hey, I'm responsible. I'm ultimately responsible to do what I can as a parent. I'm not ultimately responsible for you know what happens to my child in terms of their character. They are, right. but it's like, have I done everything that I need to do as a parent to address those particular things?
0: Well, and I think you alluded to this in our last session. Um, peers are not equipped yeah. to take care of Peers, yeah. They don't have the he, emotional... He spends a lot of time yeah. making sure you understand that. <laughs> he, they peers do not have not the equipped. emotional capability. Right. They they don't n- necessarily have super great grips on right and wrong. And so when your child is essentially being parented by a peer, you're, they're scope is going to be so small and limiting for them
2: and and he says it in a much nicer way but the way i've said it Mm -hmm. (laughs) to, to my kids and and this was especially on the topic of discussing um you know as they grow up sex and and sexuality is is um saying to my kids, Hey, you can ask me any question you want. You're not going to surprise me. You're not going to bring something out of left field. I've, I've heard of all of it. I, you're not going to shock me. Um, but if you go to your friends, you're going to be learning from idiots and they know I love their friends. They know yeah. that I'm, but, but I'm just telling you, if you are are going to be embarrassed to come to me, so you're going to go to your friends, you're going to get bad information yeah. and I'm going to, I love you, and so I'm going to tell you truth, and then, you know, we'll both just kind of wipe the sweat off our brow from the embarrassment and move on. Yeah. And um, as a as a protective mode, that's my role as a parent, not my ki- my the kids' friends. Yeah. To and let's equip replace
1: them. let's replace friends with Google, or Amen. social media, YouTube. or in, or YouTube, or anything else that you might go to the the idea that you would go to a different source either first or primarily other than your parents to learn about the essence of life. Now, if you want to know how to, you know, um, change something on the car and you want to go to a YouTube, you know, video because, you know, mom and dad don't know how to do anything on the car. And you're like, Hey, right. But that's because that person's an expert in that particular field. That's why you're watching the video, right? You're not watching a video of somebody who doesn't know what they're doing so that you can learn how not to do things. That'd be way funnier. That'd, <laughs> That'd, be, <weird> funnier. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be way funnier. Well, you, and I, you and I ought to start a <laughs> YouTube channel, right? What not to do with your car. Yeah, I, just, I, see I have so it. much, so much stuff saved already. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> I could probably start today.
1: But, but I think, you know, that that's the kind of – now you mentioned um, sex, mm-hmm. and so let's let's talk about that because he brings this up in, in Chapter 12. He talks mm-hmm. about this idea um, that sex becomes an instrument of peer attachment, right? So when we're talking about peers orienting and connecting and attaching to other peers, um, obviously, right, this idea that sex is going to be a part of that peer attachment is something that he's going to – you know, that they're going to address. Um, I did think it was fascinating um, – yeah, and I, was, I was telling Gabe this earlier. I, I I did think it was fascinating how he addresses the power, right? The binding and connecting power of sex. Um, and in a way, like really appreciates this, right? I mean, and he's, they're, they're writing this saying, listen, you know, what sex binds together cannot be separated without, you know, some pain. He even talks about it creating one flesh. Um, and he and goes through here, right? Um, he even has this. He says, one of the ultimate costs of emotional hardening is that sex Um, loses its um, potency as a bonding agent the long-term effect is soul numbing impairing young people's capacity to enter into relationships in which the true contact and intimacy are possible and i'm like soul numbing where does he even get the idea that we have a soul Mm -hmm. from an evolutionary concept but i'm telling you like he addresses this concept that if peers are going to be attached to other peers sex is probably going to be a part of that attachment and it is powerful and it is binding. It is dangerous and ultimately it is damaging. Absolutely. And I I thought he did a really good job without even knowing probably what they were talking about of laying out a biblical concept of why do we save sex until marriage? This is the reason why (laughs) God designed it so that right. Sex binds you. And if you're bound right as you know, 13, 14, 15 year olds to other peers, I'm just going to tell you, right, when when that separation comes, it's going to hurt.
0: Until you're numb damaging. to it.
1: Until you're numb to but it. Yeah, and
3: that's what he talks about that's is that eventually, like, the, the stickiness of that glue eventually wears off, yep. right? Until you can't connect, you can't attach to anything yep. um, anymore. Yeah. Very, 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 very powerful in that
1: he did say this. That the final thing was it says um, sex would be the final attachment act. I thought it was really funny. It's right very he's biblical. like If you're, yeah, if you're attaching to people, save sex till the very end, the last of the attach. So attach at every other level. Don't use physical intimacy for the fi- you know, for the th- one of the first things to attach. And I'm like, wow, he could write a book about why do we save sex? Extremely
2: biblical yes. of him. Without knowing
1: it. Yes. I love it. Um, So, yeah, we we brought that um, part of it in. He did bring in, I want to bring in this, like um, the bullying concept. Um, Is just how when peers attach to other peers, um, it can be very damaging because peers can be so belittling of other peers. Which, from an adult perspective, I've seen this, adults belittle kids, but you don't get as much of it as you do from peer to peer. Peers can be very... Um, just mean to other kids um, and, and you see that and so um, he gives uh, an, an idea um, one of the stories he tells is about a little boy named Braden um, and his thing is um, that bullying wouldn't be that big of a deal if you if your main identity is what your dad thinks of you and mm-hmm. so he says it says Braden's idea of what his father thought of him protected him more effectively than the father could have ever done by direct intervention. And I thought it was so funny because I was like, okay, so instead of saying his father, meaning Braden, if you would put oh, his father. heavenly father, yeah. and if you would say what what God thinks of you will be your greatest protection against what anybody else thinks of you. And again, right, one step short of, of some really, really good advice, but it's it's true.
0: But honestly, that was one of my favorite little mm-hmm. pieces of this book because I could visualize God in that father role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what a good reminder it is for all of us. I mean, as parents, we're supposed to be showing our kids how to live out the, this life. Right. And so um, I it just was such a, a shining example to me to remember, hey, I don't have to worry about what so-and-so thinks about me because I already know I'm chosen. Yeah. I, I am God's daughter. And so I can live my life in that way and that in, in that confidence and hopefully I'm instilling that in my kids too so that if, when when they run into a peer who's mean or saying something nasty about them it doesn't, it will still hurt but they don't take it to heart right. and it becomes their identity. Right. They already have their identity.
1: Yeah. True, true. Um, peer oriented kids will do almost anything to avoid the human feelings of aloneness, suffering and pain and mm. to escape feeling hurt, exposed, alarmed. Uh, insecure, in, uh, inadequate or self-conscious. And I think that's right. You see that so often um, he writes about um, one of the dangers of having a, a child who's peer oriented um, is when those peers are mean um, and, um, and then withdraw that, um, you know, kind of acceptance or that kindness or that, what that attachment. Um, there's a lot of young people who end up being, um, in depression right Mm -hmm. anxiety depression leading to um suicide attempts and and he writes about that that idea that you know young people um their you know suicidal ideations are increasing and a lot of it is because they're getting their identity from peers and it's leaving them empty and frustrated and alone and i think we see the evidence of that in today's culture
3: yeah, and it's hard because it's almost this self-deprecating circle yeah. that that runs through social media, right? Is that when kids feel alone and they start to have these, these feelings, they're looking for attachments somewhere, and if they're not getting it at home and and maybe they feel alone at school and, and every other place that they go, well, there's always somebody out on the Internet that will feel like you feel and will make it known to everybody just on the off chance that somebody else just like them is watching and Try. will bite on it, Try. right? And so that's where that's where all of these – uh, I mean, this is where the transgender movement within our culture and things like this are catching so much traction is um, is through social media, but it's all stemming from this alone feeling, right? It's this lack of attachment to um, – to, to people at home that, that might listen, that would have a voice, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's don't go looking for wisdom and people that don't have any wisdom, right? It's, it's exactly what Julie said. Um, it, but I also thought it was interesting if we go backwards a little bit just to, just to kind of like sum up everything that we're saying. I thought it was interesting he mentioned this idea of like there being a lack of attention. Uh, when you lose attachment with your kid, it's mm. really hard to have a voice in their life, mm. Right. And so as soon as I as a dad lose that attachment and lose the right to be heard by my kids, well, of course, they're going to go somewhere else. Right. And as soon as I try to get it back, what I've, what you'll find is that it's a lot harder to get it back than just to maintain it. Uh, and so to actually continue to work on the relationships uh, strengthening the attachment with my kids is going to be really important uh, because as soon as you lose it, getting it back is going to take time. Not only that, you're probably going to have to wrestle it away from something else that is that they've attached to. Yep. Yeah,
1: I think that's one of the things, um, you know, from a parenting perspective, uh, the time and attention and demands that the world places on us when our kids are young um, are significant and great, and we have to make those choices of saying, "Hey." Um, you know, I could spend more time away from my family and my kids to spend more time doing things that will make me successful. Um, but when you lose that attachment to your kids and, you know, and then all of a sudden you get to that point where, okay, now I've got time for my kids, your kids are grown and they've got attachments to other things. And, and that's, that's, you know, hopefully what the third episode of this will be about is what, what do we do then? How do we get that attachment back?
2: Well, and I, th- I, th- I want to piggyback on what you said about parents making choices. And I think what you were alluding to was work. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what well, I also see, though, are, are
0: tennis or well, n- well, anything else. But, well, but I'm, I'm going <laughs> to
2: say what parent ma- parents make choices to um, with their kids uh-huh. and having their kids in so many different activities that I, I don't know how there can be dinner at home. I don't uh, – on, you know, most nights of the week or, you know, any. Um, and and I, I think that's something that we struggle with. So as we're talking about attachment parenting and that we we want to um, have that attachment with our kids, then there's also this responsibility we have to not
0: Over farm subject. them out
2: mm-hmm. to everybody else, to coaches, to what – and I think, you know, we've lost sight of what um, what's healthy and beneficial and then – Where are the diminishing returns?
0: Well, and I was going to say the exact same thing. And I feel like some parents think that, well, because I'm taking them to their practices and I'm at their games or I'm at their dance performances or whatever it is, um, you're not intentionally discipling them during that time. Mm -hmm. Somebody else is. And it's not about the Lord and it's not really about real life. It's about their sport or their... Um, Their artistic gifts, and so to Julie's point, I, I completely agree. I think a lot of a lot of us like over schedule our kids, which basically takes away any kind of opportunity to have the attachment with them. Yeah.
3: I I think it's interesting because I'm listening to you ladies talk and I'm thinking that I think sometimes we get duped into thinking that, that presence is the same thing. Like, well, I'm there, right. I'm in the car with them. Uh, I'm on the sidelines with them that surely just by proximity, like this attachment is developing. Right. Uh, and I think that it's, that's mistaken. Like right. I think there's a great deal of intentionality that it's through conversations, right? It's not just because we're all in the living room together, but we're all on our phones separately. Like that's not making an attachment. It's, yep. it's just us being in close proximity with one another. Um, and, and so even with all of these things, yes, we may be around, but we may not be available yeah. in order to yeah. make those attachments. I,
1: I think about that when, when parents say, you know, you know, little Jimmy gets in the car and I say, Hey, how how was your day? And he says, good. And it's like, my my kid doesn't talk to me. And I'm like, was that the only question you ask? Right. How was your day? Right. Can you not think of more creative questions to ask your kid? Because here's the thing. I think kids want to talk to their parents about their day. They want to ask them questions, but we so easily get kind of in that, right. We get offended by that. Um, You know, it's like they put on their, you know, AirPods and they listen to their whatever. And so we turn on something else. And I'm just like, Parenting takes work, Yep, right? This isn't like, you know, know, somebody obviously has one kid who gets in the car and just spills everything. Okay, great. (laughs) But, you know, if you've got the kid, it's like it's going to take a little bit more prodding and it's going to take, you know, years and years and years of drawing things out. It's like, but that's your job as a parent, right? It says train up a child in the way that they should go. So you've got to learn – you know, what does my kid need so that, you know, they'll open up and they'll talk. And maybe it's, you know, not in the car ride on the way home. Maybe it's that night later. Maybe mm-hmm. it's, you know, while you're out playing catch or maybe it's whatever. But it's like that's the job of the parent, yeah. right, is to figure out how do I attach to my kids so that I can learn them, so that I can help them, so I can train them, so I can disciple them. And, you know, everybody knows about the the story of, you know, the one family that, you know, oh, yeah, the kids just talk all the time. I'm like, well, that's great. Right, but if you've got the kids who don't talk, then yeah, you've got extra work to do to figure out how to make those attachments and how to have that conversation and how to build that relationship so that they, right, they trust you, they come to you, they want to talk to you, and I think that's that's the responsibility that we have, you know, from a parenting thing, and I think that's what he's really driving at in the book. Um, he's got a line, and I think if I could summarize right everything he writes about, it, he says children don't need friends; <laughs> they need parents, grandparents, adults who will assume the responsibility. To hold on to them. And I think the, the main part of this is that that's the responsibility, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Is you've got to
3: figure out how to connect to your kids. You mean it's our responsibility to hold on to them, not them to us? Right. Interesting.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that sarcastically I know. for those that can't see <laughs> <Yeah>. my face. <laughs> and, and you remember, right, when the kids were little and you would walk and you would hold their hand, right, if – if their little hands were supposed to hold on to you when they fell and they tripped they would let go because they don't have the strength and so what did you do you you held on to them yeah so when they let go it's like you didn't let go and i think that's ultimately what you know what he's getting to uh, and and the damage that comes from a peer oriented young person um, you may not really see it right away but it, it's going to be significant it's going to be pretty great in their life
2: well and and the peers will let go when that, like I said earlier, yeah. when, when the relationship no longer serves them or when they move away or when they go, th- th- those, those are, you know, I think we've idealized friendships and they are wonderful and they are great. And I, I, I treasure my friendships, but there, there is a difference in the, the structural foundation of those relationships.
3: They're usually conditional, right? Yeah. yeah.
2: And they, th- th- they are, they are great as long as they're great. Um, but when push comes to shove or somebody gets bent sideways, it goes away. And and if, and if your child has put all of their, um, attachment to that friend and that friend decides that they don't want to be there anymore or or circumstances take them away or whatever, um, that's going to be crushing.
1: Now, I'll go off on a tangent on this because we use the word um, and I'm a word guy, right? This is <laughs> if, you, if you had to summarize me, it's like words are super important. Mm-hmm. The word friend. Mm-hmm. Um, they use right children don't need friends. Well, here, here's the thing. I think children do need friends. But friend to me is different than what most people think friends are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've told my kids this and, and they'll tell you, right? If, you know, if we had to have a little speech, it's um, the people that you go to school with are not your friends. They're your classmates. Right. The people you play sports with are not your friends. They're your teammates. So, right. Friend for us is a word that we use for those people who have your best interest in mind and are willing to make a sacrifice to do what's right for you. That's that's a friend. Right. And so, you know, when he says, you know, children don't need friends, I think the concept is, is what you're saying is children don't need other people like them that don't have their best interest in mind. Totally agree with that. But a friend? Everybody needs a friend. (laughs) Children need friends. Adults need friends, Right. right? And if you could raise your children to be a friend, to look out for the best interests of somebody else, right, then they'll have friends because people always want to be around those kind of people. And so I've noticed that with my kids, raising them, right, of people that they've gone to school with, right, who have not been there for them when things happen. And they're like, oh, my friend did this, my friend did that. And then they look at me and they're like, My classmate did this, (laughs) my classmate, right? Because it's like, yeah, well, if they did that, they obviously are not your friend. And I think that's an important kind of distinction as we're talking about, you know, these peer-oriented concepts. If you're you're a young person and you really have a friend, right, that person will be a good connection for you because they've got your best interest in mind.
3: That was worth the entire. There you go. I mean, yeah. you should have said that at the very beginning. They could have turned off this <laughs> podcast. I know. I feel like <laughs> that we was can really go good. so many different places <laughs> okay, with that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Whatever. Okay, so let's let's end this one and let's go to the next one which will be um, from a parenting perspective, how do we make that attachment, right? What does that really look like? So if you're if your peers are oriented already to other peers, how do we capture them back? Or even if you're a young parent and you're like, "Oh, my kids are little, how do I keep that attachment going?" Right, so that, that they don't become peer-oriented. So that'll be our third and final conversation.
0: Thank you for investing the time to listen to this episode of The Journey. Please take a minute to share with friends and family who will also benefit from this valuable resource. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast app. It is truly our blessing and honor to walk with you on The Journey.